Awesome. All right, well, with that said, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Welcome to Cross Point. And to kick off the series, we're going to dive into two passages together, Hebrews chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 17. Hebrews chapter 11, Matthew chapter 17. Well, you know this, but we're all as individuals known for something, aren't we? I mean, like when your name comes up in people's conversations or they see you on social media, they run into you out into the community, automatically they associate certain qualities and characteristics with your identity. So, for example, this happens to me all the time, like it does some of you. Some of you are known by the, uh, for the job you do each day. Like I'll be out in the community and people will come and go, hey, uh, you're that pastor at that church, aren't you? And, and I'll say, it depends. Uh, what church and which pastor are you talking about, right? And some of you can identify with that. Others of us, we're known by the people we're related to. Don't you love it when someone comes to you and they say, hey, you're so-and-so's mom and dad, right? Uh, you're so-and-so's spouse or you're so-and-so's sibling. Like they don't know you, but they know you kind of because they know you the, uh, the people you're related to. Or how about this one? Some of you are probably known by the hobbies or the activities that you take part in. Uh, high school students, like some of y'all are known as the football player or the cheerleader. Uh, the dancer, some of you in the room, people know you as that musician, right? Well, that same principle that's true for individuals, it's also true for corporations. You know, if I bring up today companies like Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Amazon, uh, companies like Target, I mean, y- your brain automatically goes to certain places, right? Apple, you start thinking, great chicken, Great coffee, great marketing, customer service, great technology. I don't have to tell you what's true about those companies. Like, you instinctively know because of what you've seen, heard, and or tasted. Well, look, here's the reality. What's true for individuals, what's true for corporations, it's also true for churches. I mean, you know that that churches like ours, regardless of whether or not you grew up in church, when churches like ours are named outside of our walls, people automatically think certain things about us. They start associating certain qualities and characteristics with who we are as a church. And that's why here at Crosspoint, we are so passionate about being known for certain things. Uh, We have seven convictions. These convictions are what other churches or companies might call core values. But these convictions are what we strive to be known for. They inform every decision we make and every single practice that we hold to. And in this series that we're starting today, we're going to talk about each one of those convictions in detail over the next seven weeks. Now, I'll tell you the purpose of the series real quick, all right? Uh, It's twofold. If this is your church, the purpose of this series for you is simply to remind you of who we are, to remind you of who we are. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot has changed here over the last couple weeks, right? And I am assuming that much more will continue to change as we transition through this season. But I need you to know one thing that hasn't changed and one, one thing that won't change is who we are as Cross Point City Church. Amen? I mean, here's the reality. This building, as great as it is and as grateful as I am for it, does not define us. Because as we say often around here, the church is a people, not a place. Yeah, I mean, the church is not this structure made of wood and stone No, the church is us, the people in the seats who meet inside of this structure. And so just because we're in a different house, that doesn't mean we're going to become different people. So that's first. If you're new here, maybe you're just checking it out for the first time or, you know, somebody told you about it and you're visiting because somebody's buying you lunch. First, let me just say, we're grateful that you're in the house, okay? 
I know we've already welcomed you, but I'm going to do it again. Welcome to Crosspoint. Uh, I pray that you feel loved. Yeah, we can thank these folks for coming. Again, we pray that you feel loved, welcomed, and, and more than anything, I pray that you leave hopeful today uh, regarding what you hear and experience concerning Jesus. But the purpose of this series for you, if you're new, is simply this. We want to welcome you or introduce you to Crosspoint. Because here's what will happen without fail. Promise you, this is what's going to happen. You're going to leave after today, and you're going to have questions. All right, why in the world did they do that thing they did? Uh, Why did they not do that thing that the church I used to go to do? Like, I mean, we we did that thing all the time, and they didn't even talk about it. Like, where was that, you know? Uh, You're going to leave today, and you're going to go, why in the world did they stand up there and and talk to their people that way and ask people to do certain things that, that they asked them to do? Well, over the course of these next several weeks, one of our goals is to answer many of those questions for you. And so if you're new here, here's all I want to say. Uh, Come back over the next seven weeks. It's a great time to be here. If you decide after seven weeks that you don't like us and you never want to come again, we will still love you. We will even help you find a church that you like, okay? But, But come back for the next seven weeks, and I'm trusting that after the series is over, you'll be able to make an informed decision on whether or not this is the church God is calling you to be a part of, okay? So with all that said, let's dive in and get to work. Conviction number one here at Crosspoint is this. We believe wholeheartedly that anything is possible. That anything is possible. And here's how the description of that conviction reads. We believe our God is forever faithful, and with him all things are possible. Therefore, we will be a people of faith, refusing to dream small dreams or pray safe prayers. We will take risks, bank our lives on God's promises, and be confident in his ability to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Now, to really unpack and understand that conviction The first thing we need to do is define biblical faith, right? I mean, if we're going to live as a people of faith and believe and act as if nothing is impossible with God, it's probably a good idea to start with, okay, what is faith? And and the good news for us is in Hebrews 11, we find a great description of biblical faith. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So look, according to this verse, faith is not what most people think it is. All right, most people think that faith is nothing more than hopeful, wishful thinking. Oh, I hope things get better. Hope my situation turns around. I'm going to have faith that it will. And I hope I get that job I've been wanting. Hope that girl I've been Facebook stalking agrees to go out with me, yeah? (laughs) Single guys in the room, can I help you out for just a moment? If you want her to go out with you, get off Facebook and talk to her like a person, okay? And just some free advice. I hope that helps. But listen, that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is not hopeful, wishful thinking, nor is it blind optimism. You know, I'm just going to believe the best in spite of not knowing what the future holds. That's not faith. According to Hebrews 11.1, we see that faith is actually comprised of two things, confidence and conviction. Confidence and and conviction. So get this. In other words, faith is you being 100% confident that everything you're hoping for will come to pass. Secondly, faith is you having this deep conviction that things you haven't seen with your own eyes, can't see with your own eyes, actually exist and will one day be seen. Now here's the question. Where in the world does that kind of confidence and conviction come from? Well, they both come from the promises 
of God. Let me show you this in the text. All right, keep reading. Verse 2, the writer continues and he says, For by it, it, there is faith, by the way, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Now, when the writer talks about the people of old here, he's talking about Old Testament heroes of the faith. That becomes clear when you keep reading Hebrews chapter 11. So he's referencing people like Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, uh, David, Samuel, Rahab, Gideon, the Old Testament prophets, right? The list goes on and on and on. These were men and women who were commended by God for banking their lives on the promises of God. So, for example, God promised them that if they would obey him, if they would follow him, keep their side of the covenant that he made with them, that he would bless them, protect them from all their enemies. He'd be their God. They'd be his people. Life would go really, really well. They would uh, be given land to live in so that they could have a safe and secure place to call home. They also had an amazing promise from God. You, You see this one popping up over 350 times in the Old Testament that one day God would send a Savior into the world. Right, a Savior who would come and, and offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. According to the promises of God in the Old Testament, this Savior would free people from sin, death, and hell forever and restore them back into a right relationship with God. And by the way, if you've ever wondered how people in the Old Testament got saved, if you will, since they lived before the time of Jesus, the answer is simple. They got saved in the same way we get saved today, by faith. That's it. They didn't work their way into it. It was by faith. You see, we believe today God sent a Savior. They believed back then that God would send a Savior. And so as a result of God's promises, what did they do? They trusted in his character. They trusted in that future promise, and they lived lives of faith before him. Now, the writer continues in verse 3, and he says this. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, can we have an honest moment right now in in church? You guys ready? Can we just all agree none of us were there when the universe came into being, right? We just weren't there. So not a single person in this room saw God creating and speaking things into existence, right? You agree? Okay, here's my question. Why are we so convinced that it was him? Why are we so sure that he's the one responsible. Well, I think a lot of us in this room would would probably agree, even if we're not Christians, maybe we're agnostics, we hold to another uh, faith or belief system, we, we could probably agree, many of us, that the reason we believe that there's a God out there who created all this is because the intricacies and intelligence of creation suggest that, that this didn't all just happen by chance, you know? Uh, that creation is not a result of a bunch of nothing blowing up and something being birthed. But instead, that there is a brilliant designer and creator behind it all. But as followers of Jesus, there's another reason we believe God created everything that we see. You guys know the reason? It's real simple. We believe it because he told us that it was him. All right, check this out. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. God says there, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Romans 1.20 tells us that in the beginning uh, God put his divine nature on display through creation so that no person who ever lived would be able to deny his existence. Listen, do you know what it's called when you actually believe passages like those? 
It's called faith. You are exercising confidence and conviction in the promises of God concerning realities that you cannot see and did not see with your own eyes. And so based on those few verses, we could define biblical faith simply as this. Being confident of the past, present, and future because God promised it was, is, and will be so. Listen, I know this is really simple. There's probably a lot we could add to it. We could change some words if we wanted. But again, I'm trying to keep it easy today, all right? What is biblical faith? It's you and I being confident of the past, present, and future because God promised it was, is, and will be so. Now, keep that definition in mind, okay? Because what we're going to do now is turn our attention to this story in Matthew 17 And we're going to use this story to answer the question, how in the world do we as a people called Cross Point City Church walk in that kind of faith? Matthew 17, we'll pick it up in verse 14 and read together. Here's what it says. And when they, this is speaking of Jesus and his disciples, came to the crowd, uh, a man came up to Jesus and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Now, let me give you a little context, because this will help you understand the story a little better, okay? Uh, What you see happening right before this passage is Jesus, he's with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're on top of this mountain. It's commonly called the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus literally pulls back his humanity And he gives these three men just a quick preview of his glory and his divinity. Well, when they come back down off of this mountain, the Bible tells us that Jesus is met by this father who's in desperation mode. And parents in the room, you'll be able to appreciate this. Because when we keep reading the story, you find that this man's son was possessed by a demon. This demon, number one, was causing this boy to have epileptic seizures. Which is a great reminder, by the way, that sometimes sickness can be demonic in nature. This is one of the reasons we pray for sick people here at Cross Point. Uh, sickness is not always the result of demonic activity. Uh, sometimes it's a result of the fact that we just live in a broken world, right? But sometimes demons can actually inflict sickness onto people. And so we pray for sick people believing that if it's demonic in nature, that those demons must bow to the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, amen? And so we're not going to back off of that. Uh, But in addition to the seizures, the Bible also says that this demon was causing the boy to try and kill himself. I mean, the dad tells Jesus, uh, this demon is is trying to get my son to throw himself into fire, into water. And then he says something that is so interesting. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. I know what some of you are thinking. That's your problem, bro, right? (laughs) You brought your son to the disciples. Uh, Jesus is the one that casts out demons. So you should have just brought him to Jesus. Everything would have been okay. But look, I want to argue otherwise, and and I'll show you why. Back in Matthew 10, if you go back several chapters, you find Jesus sending out his disciples to preach and do ministry. But before he sends them out, he gives them authority to cast out demons, among other things. Let me show you this. Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here it is. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. And so based on that, we can all agree, right, that this dad did the right thing by bringing his son to Jesus, correct? Yet for some reason, and we'll see the reason in a moment, for some reason, 
These disciples could not do what Jesus gave them the authority to do. And when Jesus hears that, well, he gets a little frustrated. All right, look at verse 17. He says to them, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Now, can you imagine being one of the disciples in that moment? I mean, Jesus just called him out in front of a large crowd of people. Like, guys, seriously? <laughs> Are we doing this again? Like, how, how long do I have to put up with this kind of behavior? It's kind of like being a parent, isn't it? Like, really? We've talked about this countless times, and here we are again at the same place. And so Jesus calls his guys out, but, but then he goes on to fix what they couldn't fix in front of everybody. Well, that apparently bothered these men so badly that later that day when they got alone with Jesus, they just asked him, why couldn't we do it? Jesus, why couldn't we heal the boy? And here's what Jesus says in verse 20. Look at it. He said to them, because of your little faith. Why couldn't you deliver him? Why couldn't you cast out the demon, guys? It was because of your little faith. Now, if we shrug off or forget the definition of biblical faith we established earlier, we might be tempted to think that what Jesus was saying in this moment was this. Uh, Guys, you couldn't cast the demon out because you didn't believe in yourself that you could do it. Guys, if you would have just had more faith in yourselves and in each other, you could have healed the boy. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. I mean, remember biblical faith, what it is? It's being sure, confident of the past, present, and future because God promised it was, is, and will be so. You see, here's the reality. These men had a promise from Jesus. He told them, guys, I'm giving you my authority. Therefore, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, Yet when this dad brought his son to Jesus, and it seemed as if that authority was failing them, instead of looking at each other and saying, guys, hey, uh, we have a promise to hold on to. Like Jesus, who is God, he told us that we could do this. He's strong. He's powerful. Nothing is too hard for him. And so let's lean into that promise and keep praying until this boy is healed. Instead of doing that, what do they do? They just gave up. Can you imagine being that dad and hearing the disciples of Jesus who could do what Jesus gave them the authority to do, telling you, uh, we're sorry, sir, we've tried everything and nothing can be done. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. We we prayed and nothing's happening. And so, uh, you know, there's nothing more we can do. Your kids' issues are too big for us. Good luck. Hope you can find someone else to help. Do you see what's happening here in the text? But what's happening is really simple. Don't miss this. What's happening is this. Instead of remaining confident in the promise Jesus gave them, the disciples allow their circumstances to crush their confidence. And can we all be honest? Every single one of us in the room has been there, haven't we? I mean, we've all experienced moments and even seasons in which our circumstances seem to be saying something very different than what God was saying. And come on, let's get very real. We've all experienced moments and seasons as well when our circumstances seem to be winning out over the word of God, yes? I mean, let me give you some examples. How about this? Uh, God says in his word, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. 
Yet, you go through something really difficult and painful in life, and it feels like God is nowhere to be found. Or what about this one? God says in his word, hey, regardless of what happens in your life, if you love me and you've been called according to my purpose, I will work all things for your good. Yet years later, you're still looking back on that thing that you went through, and you're still trying to find the good in it. Let me give you one more. This might preach to some of y'all. I know it preaches to me. How about this? Uh, God says in his word, because of who you are in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? Because of, of your position in my son, you now have authority over sin. Sin's not your master. Jesus is your master. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, by the Spirit, you can put every single sin in your life to death. Yet, when that sin you've been struggling with all your life rears its ugly head yet again, you feel so powerless and you find yourself just giving back in. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I mean, has anybody ever wrestled with their circumstances, winning out over the word of God? Yes. Listen, here's what you need to know if so. In those moments, you and I have to make the same decision the disciples had to make. And here's the decision. Will I believe what my circumstances are telling me about God, or will I believe what God has promised me about my circumstances? That's the decision. Let me say it again because I need you to hear it. Will I believe what my circumstances are telling me about God, or will I believe what God has promised me concerning my circumstances? Listen, if you want to be that person who believes God, here's what you have to know. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Walking in faith is only feasible when you believe God is faithful. James, I want to be that person that believes God. What do I do? Again, you need to know this first and foremost, that walking in faith is only feasible when you believe God is faithful. In his book, Knowledge of the Holy, a book that I would really encourage you to read if you've never read it, but Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes in the opening line of that book, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I believe he's absolutely right. But if you're the person in the room who, who thinks of God and the first thing that comes into your mind is this being who is distant, unloving, uncaring, his character isn't good, his promises are not sure and true, come on, you're never going to trust God. You're never going to walk in faith to him, right? You're always going to question him. You're going to keep him at a distance. But if, on the other hand, you're that person who's here today, and when you think about God, you think of a good, gracious father who loves his kids more than they could ever comprehend. A, a heavenly father who is so faithful, and he always wants the best for his sons and daughters. A, a good father who only gives good gifts. When you think of God in that way, it's then and only then that you can walk in faithfulness to him. And so here's the question. Why should you think of God like that? Like, why in the world should you actually believe that God is faithful, especially when your circumstances tell you that he's not? Are you ready for the answer? It's really simple. Here's the answer. If you're taking notes, write it down. Because of Jesus. Come on, 1115. That deserved a better amen than that. Let me, let me try this again, all right? You and I can believe that God is faithful today because of Jesus, amen? I mean, think about this. What does the word teach us? Well, it teaches us that God had every right to give up on us due to our sin and rebellion. But instead of giving up on us, what did he do? He came after us, right? 
I mean, God could have left us alone to suffer in this broken world and in the next. Yet out of his great love for us, God pursued us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did for us what you and I could never do for ourselves. Right? He laid his life down in our place for our sins to buy us back to God. 2,000 years ago at the cross, he went through hell for every single one of us so that you and I would never have to know what hell is like. Every bit of the punishment we deserve from God, Jesus took. Why? So that we could be loved by God and accepted by God both now and forever. But here's the great news. That's not where the faithfulness of God stopped. I mean, I hope you know the faithfulness of God didn't stop on a Friday, right? Because three days later, what did God do? He raised his son up from the dead so that broken, sinful people like you and me could one day experience a resurrection of our own. This blows me away every time I think about it. Uh, Contrary to what some of us might believe today, look, eternal life, life after death, is not you simply floating around on a cloud somewhere as some disembodied spirit. And some of y'all are like, okay, I think I just like heaven a little bit more. Like, James, keep going. Tell me something, right? Listen, that's not life after death. That's not eternity. No, God promises, get this, that if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, there is coming a day for you. This is on the day when Jesus Christ returns again, that you will live on a brand new earth in a brand new resurrected physical body, just like the one Jesus received after his resurrection, a body that will never again suffer, never feel pain, never get sick, never die, and everything you hate about this world will be no more. There'll be no more sickness. Yeah. Listen, no more sickness, no more pain, no more injustice, no more poverty, no more suffering, no more death. And for the rest of eternity, as a loved son and daughter of God, you will rule and reign with Christ in that new heaven and that new earth. Listen to me. When you know that's what's true for you because of how faithful God has been to you, never again do you have any reason to question the character or the promises of God. Amen? Like, all you got to do is remember Jesus And that helps you to remember he is good and his promises can be trusted. Now, I want to take you back to the text because I need you to see the result of walking in that kind of faith. Look back at verse 20 with me. Jesus goes on and and he says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, and I just envisioned that mountain that he was just on with Peter, James, and John, still in the background, right? This is the kind of teacher Jesus was. Guys, you see that mountain. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You know what I love about that? I love that Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, guys, if you want to move that mountain, it's going to take mountain-sized faith. Isn't that good? Hey, if if you want God to do impossible things, eternally significant things in and through your life, then you need to muster up faith the size of the sea. No, Jesus says all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, I'm curious. Have any of you ever seen a mustard seed? Okay, just in case you haven't, I brought some with me. And so I just want to show you one really quickly, okay? Um, Hey, can you guys see that? People in the back, can you see it? Uh, Balcony folks, can you see that? Listen, that's the point. That's the point. Jesus says, get this, that all it takes is this amount of faith 
placed in the right person, not in yourself, but in God, and you can move mountains. Nothing will be impossible for you. Here's what he's teaching. And again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus wants us to see here that small faith in a faithful God can accomplish impossible things. The small faith in a faithful God can accomplish impossible things. So don't miss it. Right, Jesus is helping us to see that it's not the amount of your faith that matters, but the object of your faith that matters. Right, in other words, it's not the size of your faith that makes the difference. No, it's the size of your God in whom you place your faith that makes all the difference in the world. Isn't that good? I mean, how comforting is it to know that we serve a God who says to us, all right, listen, if you really want me to show up, you want me to go to work in your life, You want me to do impossible, eternally significant things in you and through you. I don't need a lot of faith to work with. Like, you don't have to work yourself tirelessly to muster up this massive amount of faith. No, God says to us, even if your faith is broken, even if it's hard for you to, like, scrounge up what little amount of faith you have at the bottom of the barrel, all I need is just a little. Just take whatever faith you can pull together And I'll use that to work in your life in ways that are impossible for you. And so I just want to say to you today, if you walked in this room feeling broken, if you walked into this room feeling hopeless, if there's something in your life that continues to conquer you, and it's just so frustrating because you know, I can't do anything about this. Or maybe you're just that person who walked in today and here's your heart. I just want my life to count for something. Maybe that's where you are. James, I don't want to spend the short amount of life that I have here on this earth living for things that do not matter. Because I know there are so many things that I could live for that in the scheme of eternity don't matter at all. James, I don't want to live my life that way. Like I want to live a life that that when they put me in the ground one day, all they can talk about is Jesus, not me, because of what he did through me. I don't got to take my life and to use it for his glory and his fame. Listen, if that's where you find yourself today, again, here's the good news. You ready? All it takes is a small amount of faith and a faithful God for that to be your reality. I'll close with this. Years ago, I read a book, and in this book, the author wrote a little bit about the story of Mother Teresa. And he shared that Mother Teresa was a lady who had such confidence in God that she made personal vows to him. One of her vows was this, to refuse God nothing. This was a lady who just decided, you know, because God has been so faithful to me, I'm going to say yes to God in everything. I don't care what he wants, what he asks for, my answer is yes. Another vow she made was to do his bidding without delay. So not only did she decide, I'm going to say yes to God in everything, but she decided, I'm going to say yes to God now. It's not going to be for me. Okay, God, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want that too. I'll get to it next week. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, uh, a few months from now. Let me just take care of some of the other, these other things that are going on in my life, and, and I'll get around to it maybe a few years down the road. No, she was a lady who decided, if God gave us everything for me, I'm going to give my everything to him. So for me, it's yes, God, and yes, God, right now. Can I just tell you, her vows reflect my prayer, my hope, my desire for our church. I pray that here at Crosspoint, we would be a people so enamored 
by the grace and faithfulness of God shown to us in Jesus Christ that we would never question his character, never question his promises, but that we'd have so much confidence in him that we'd be people truly who go, God, whatever you want, that's what we want. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me right now, I'm saying yes. God, if that's what you want from me, let's get to it. Time is a-wasting. Listen, I truly believe that if as a church we walk in that kind of faith, that in this next season we're going to see God do more than we can ask or imagine both in and through our lives. Amen. You with me in this? You believe that too? I hope so. I hope so. Why don't we pray and, and just ask God to help us walk in that kind of faith right now? Heads bowed, eyes closed, all around the room. As our prayer team comes, I just want to talk first and foremost to those of you who are here that have never put your faith in Jesus Christ and Savior, as Savior and Lord. Uh, there's never been that moment for you where you have said yes to God for salvation. Maybe you've just kind of been living how you want to live or, or you've been trying to just work really hard to uh, earn the acceptance of God. But today you've heard that's not what it's about. It's just about Jesus putting your faith in him. If you need to say yes to God today, if you need your life to change, if, if you need the hope of eternity with God, then why don't you just say something in prayer right now like this. Just tell him, God, I say yes to you. I'm, I'm done putting this off. I'm done trying to do this a different way. God, I'm saying yes to you right now. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe in his death for me at the cross in his resurrection from the dead from me. And so, God, I'm asking you right now, would you forgive me of all my sins? Take hold of my life. God, make me into the person you want me to be. I say yes to you. But with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, um, if you just pray that with me or something like it, wherever you're sitting, on the floor, in the balcony, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? Just raise it real high. Um, our prayer team is going to come and, and put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive that, you can put your hand back down. Thank you so much. I know hands going up everywhere. If we haven't gotten to you yet, just throw it up real high. They're coming. As soon as you receive that resource, you can put your hand back down. Awesome. Father, our prayer today is simply that you would help us to be a people who walk in faith before you. God, any time our circumstances lie to us about who you are, about what you do, about what you don't do, about how you feel about us, help us to remember Jesus, to think on what you've done for us, to think forward to our future and what waits for us. And God, I, I pray that those realities, God, will forever change the way that, that we relate to you. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, we're so grateful that you love broken, sinful people like us and that you want to use us to accomplish things that we could never accomplish on our own. God, we lay our lives before you and, and we pray, God, do the impossible in us. Do the impossible through us. Help us to be a church that can take no credit for the work you do here. That is our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.